I'm going to be reading the scripture for us this morning, and uh, it comes from Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, this is Jesus, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over, long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all again today. I'm Pastor Rich, one of the pastors here. Um, just with the milk train thing, you know, you can even just send it through like Uber Eats or DoorDash, you know, so it's really convenient. It's a great way to just, you know, show our um, new family some love. But if you're visiting us for the first time, I'm so glad that you're here, um, that God has brought you here. And right now, our church is going through the gospel of Luke. And, um, you know, uh, when I was in college, um, our engineering class, well, every engineering class is always on the same track, you know? Uh, so you have all the classes together, you go to all the same office hours, you're eating lunch together. And I remember there was a quarter where we had three final exams, right, in one day, right? Back to back, back to back to back, right? And we're all stressing out. We're all, it's like the end of the world for us. And, uh, you know, we come up with a plan. We're going to ask our professors to change the final exam schedule, you know? And we, you know, we said we had to do this together. The teacher's pet had to get involved in this, you know, like we forced that person to do it with us. So every day we would ask each professor if the final exam schedule could be moved. And of course, they'd say, no, suck it up, that's life, right? And we're like, oh, no, no. But every single day, every single day, one of us would raise our hand, and we would not allow the professor to begin without addressing our uh, question. And, and one of the professors, the first one, he just, you know, finally he just snapped, you know, just like an interrogated, you know, person. He just said, all right, you know, like, we'll change it, you know. Uh, every day, the same question. He was so mad. We all cheered, right? We're so pumped up. We go into the next class. We tell the professor that the other person folded. Why won't you fold, you know? <laughs> like, they're dated. Why can't you do it? Like, why don't you, like, you know, and then she folded. And, you know, and, and we all cheered. We thought we had moved mountains. I'll never forget that moment. Um, now, why am I telling this story? It's nothing compared uh, to the story in our passes today, but the principle is the same. Persistence works, right? Even by a child, dad, can we ride our bikes? You know, son, it's, it's 40 degrees outside. No, you know. Uh, the next day, dad, it's 50 degrees. Can we ride our bikes? Dad, when can we ride our bikes? Johnny Johnny's dad lets him ride his bike, right? Dad, can we ride our bikes today, tomorrow, when? Please, uh, how long... Fathers, can you say no to that kind of pestering? 
can't watch a basketball game, you know, uh, you can't enjoy your glass of whiskey. Even a water droplet, the effect of a persistent single water droplet doesn't seem like much. It's not a flood. Uh, but over time, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take down an entire building. You see, in the end, the persistence of one single water droplet wins. You see, the, the principle of persistence is embedded in everything, in nature, in life, in people, in relationships. Persistence over power. Persistence over talent. Persistence over time, persistence will always win. And that, friends, is where we find ourselves today. Uh, Luke 18 is about the persistence of a widow seeking justice from a judge. So here's our outline for today's sermon. We're going to first take a look at the context. There's so much here. Um, and then second, we're going to focus in, we're going to zoom in, we're going to zero in and take a look at persistence in prayer. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at how God answers our prayers. So that's the outline. Let's take a look at the context. First, let's take a look at the widow. Right? We see this widow who has at least been wronged, but it looks like there's actually also some criminal activity that has been committed against her, so she takes it to the legal court. And in that culture... It was very uncommon, actually, in that culture for a woman to do certain things. For example, a woman could not vote in that culture. A woman could not even own property in that culture. And so this meant that if, uh, well, this widow's husband has passed, and so even the inheritance and the possession of her husband, how she would receive that was complicated. There'd be other family members involved, other business partners involved, you see, con men and frauds would commonly look to legally partner with widows so that eventually they could take over their accounts. This happens even today. I just watched a documentary on Netflix about this. You know, it's really sad. But back then, because of that society and that culture, women were uh, even more extremely vulnerable. And as a result, many widows were taken advantage of, they were targeted, they were bullied, they were cheated. And on top of this, if they were cheated, they could not even uh, get justice through the legal system. It was a terrible, terrible problem. And because of this, the Bible in both the Old and New Testament says a lot about widows and God's love for widows and how God's people are to love and care for widows. Uh, Exodus chapter 22 says, uh, when, when God is forming this new nation, Israel, God gives them the law, right? He has to give them a law. Hey, this is how you're going to live. This is how you're going to be governed by. These nations live like this. I want you to live like this. This is what he says. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. And sojourner also just means foreigner, immigrant. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. Right? So we know that God is emotionally tied up with widows. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, he says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Basically, he says, I don't care what other countries do. I don't care what other gods do, right? Because I'm the God of gods, and this is what I say. He says, I'm not partial. I take no bribe. 
He executes justice. What is justice for him though? It's to care for the fatherless, right? That's orphans. Uh, the widow, love the sojourner, give them food and clothing. That's justice. And then he says in Deuteronomy 27, cursed be anyone who perverts this justice that is due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And then all the people have to agree with this. They say, amen. This is the heart and the will and the law of God. You know? Now we don't know if the widow in our story was frauded. We don't know if she was robbed. We don't know if she was threatened or being taken advantage of. We, we don't know. Maybe her husband's assets are tied up in court and people are just waiting to bleed her dry to bid her out. We don't know what her situation is. But she's seeking justice. And generally in those days, uh, you know, there were sort of three ways to pursue justice. First, you could bribe the judge to work your way. But the widow has no money. Second, you can threaten the judge. Um but the widow has no power. Third, you could persist. You can muster up the courage and the faith and determination to just keep marching forward in the face of adversity for the sake of justice, for the sake of what is right. So here's this widow. She's up against this unjust, corrupt judge. And you get the idea that she is just pursuing him like, Jehovah Witness, you know, <laughs> comes to my door all the time. Like, Who is, oh, I thought that was an Amazon package. No, no, right? Um, do you go to church? I'm a pastor, you know? Um, you get the idea, he comes out of his house in the morning, going to work, there she is. Hey, judge, good morning. I want to talk to you about my case. I walk to work with you. He's on a lunch break. She says, hey, judge, I'd like to pick up our conversation about my case again. He's walking home. She says, you know what? I'm going that way too. You know, I like to talk about my case. You get the sense that this widow is talking about the judge, uh, about her case in front of his family, in front of his friends, his colleagues. She's knocking on his door when he has a party going on. She's saying, you haven't given me justice. You know that. It's wrong. Did you guys know that? That he's not doing anything? This is his job, right? She's brave. She's courageous. She's persistent. And eventually, like a cage-fighting granny, she gets the judge in this clinch. He finally taps out. He says, okay, please, stop. What do you want? In our English translation, in verse 5, it says, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That English phrase, beat me down, the Greek word for that is hupo. Piazzo, um, I think I got this behind me on the next slide here. Um, I kind of want to break this down for you. Hupo is sort of like a prepositional, uh, you know, a pre, uh, uh, you put it in front of the word. It means under. Piazzo means strike. And so what he's saying is, uh, so the, what this word means is when you give someone a black eye, strike under the eye, right? What the, what the judge is saying, uh, some people think figuratively, she's blackening me, my eye, man. She's beating me down. Other commentators say that this judge is literally worried that one day this widow will come and assault him and give him a black eye, right? He's like, I don't want to be shamed, right? You see, the judge is powerful. He's corrupt. He's ruthless. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about the law. This is a job to him. This is a means of him becoming wealthy. And he's afraid of this woman. It's 
pretty sweet story because she just keeps pursuing and she keeps persisting and she just grinds him down for justice. And so um, here's an application for us. First, I want us to identify with the widow. Friends, how are you like the widow? You know, you look at the face of this great adversity that she's staring into. And I know most of us say, what's the point? Nothing's going to change, right? Powerful judge, prosperous judge against the powerless, penniless widow. She doesn't care. You know, most of us say, who am I? Who am I, to, who am I to do anything? Who am I to say anything? She doesn't care. She wants justice. She's determined. She pursues it. She strives for it vigorously, continually, perseveringly, resiliently. She just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. She keeps pushing for justice. Now, you can't fight everything. Just so you know, not, worth, not everything is worth uh, fighting for or persisting over. Some of you are warriors and you'll persist and fight over everything and anything. For you right now, this sermon is some motivational speech, right? <laughs> For some sort of uh, battle that you have in your life. But, you know, feel free not to fight over everything, all right? Let's say you're dating. And one of you doesn't want to uh, be together anymore. And the other persists. Is that good or bad? That's bad. We call that stalking. <laughs> It's bad persistence. Don't do that. Road rage. Oh my goodness. I just Googled road rage and like there's so many articles, recent articles of people like violently assaulting each other over road rage. Not worth fighting over. Let it go. Chicken wing eating contest. That's not good persistence, okay? No one is saying you're the man, you know? Like, not in high school anymore. What if you're in a violent and abusive relationship? Not worth persisting. You need some distance. You need some protection. Constant and persistent complaining and bickering and nagging and quarreling over inconsequential things. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a person would rather die alone in the desert than be persisted in that way. And that's not good persistence. So being persistent is not necessarily or always a good thing. If you're committed to the wrong person or to the wrong cause, or maybe you're just fighting for, you know, what you want all the time, then persistence can be unholy. Sometimes you could be uh, a bully, overbearing. So how are we like the widow in this, in this sense? What are some things you need to ease up on? What are some things you just got to accept? You got to let it go and you got to move on. What are some things you need to surrender to Jesus and you just got to trust his timing. You just got to trust his working. You got to trust his will and his love for you. Now on the other hand, some of us, we, we don't fight for anyone, right? We're trying to keep the peace. We don't fight for anything. So feel free to pick something to fight for. Something good. You gotta prayerfully, you gotta carefully consider who or what is worth fighting for. Jesus is worth fighting for. The church, his bride, his mission, the beauty of the gospel, worth fighting for. 
your marriage, your family, their faith, the spiritual health of your family worth fighting for. Your salvation, your growth and sanctification towards the goal uh, to receive the prize for which God has called you worth fighting for. Justice as this widow pursued for the oppressed, for vulnerable women, orphans, victims of injustice worth fighting for. So what good things do you need to keep striving for? What things has God burdened your heart to fight for? Not that you want to be a contentious person, but you want to be a persistent person pursuing the things that the heart of God has laid upon your heart. So that's the first thing. How can you be like the widow? Now let's take a look at the judge. Uh, verse 2 says that there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. In other words, this judge has no accountability to a greater good. You know, for a religious person, that greater good might be God and what God wants and what God wills. For a person who is not religious, you, can, you still live for greater goods, of course. Uh, things like principles and morals and ethics like integrity and uh, fairness and peace. But this guy, none of that. He sees himself as the law. There's no authority over him. There's no authority alongside him. What this means is that, obviously, first, this guy is an arrogant person, but he's also a very dangerous person. He does what is convenient, not what is right. He does what is for his self-interest, not what is best for others. And second, it says he doesn't respect men. And back then, the masculine form man represented humanity. In other words, the judge doesn't care about humanity. If people are suffering, doesn't care. If people are being taken advantage of, if they're hurting, doesn't care. If it's not in his backyard, he doesn't care. He simply doesn't care about anything or anyone but himself. So here's a second application for us. I want us to identify with the judge. Um, how can you be like the judge? Because we can all be like this judge. In what ways do we live like God doesn't exist and uh, ways we ignore ethics and principles when it doesn't apply in our best interest or selfish desires, sorry? In what ways do we judge and think and talk and live as if God doesn't exist? exist? These are somewhat rhetorical questions because, friends, we all fail in this, in this regard, including the one speaking. Number two, uh, with this judge, do you truly care for people? You know? And if you want to know whether or not you care for people, let's put it differently. In what ways do we live like the suffering of others do exist? Or do we live more like the suffering of others don't exist. Because this man, this judge sees this woman in need. He sees suffering. He sees injustice. He does nothing. He, he says nothing. Um, Bible scholars call this a sin of omission, right? You're omitting something. You're not doing anything about it. And actually, the Bible talks about that injustice is not just committing lawlessness. Injustice is also doing nothing when there is lawlessness, this gets to the sort of holistic concept of biblical justice. 
And so I just want to do a real, real solid application for all of us in regard to like how we are this judge. I want to ask you, friends, are there people in your life that have permission to speak freely to you? People you respect and value, their extra set of eyes on your life and your heart? Or are you surrounded by just a bunch of yes men and yes women? People who make you feel good, you don't want to hear anything negative about yourself. Because then we're going to be like this judge. Just a bunch of yes men, just a bunch of yes women around him. And we've got to find people uh, that, we, that you trust, people that you love, people that you know love you, who are going to speak the unspun truth into your life without fear of how you're going to respond, without getting defensive, blame shifting, excusing or, or throwing it back, without taking it personal, or the relationship taking a hit. I want you to find some friends where you can get some solid, honest, unspun truth and be committed to the fact that this relationship is going to get better after this. Because that's what God wants, you see? Maybe it's a family member, close friends, a church member, but the more you have, the better. Let's talk about the second thing, persisting in prayer. Now, the story of the widow's persistent, it all just points to one thing, okay? Um, this parable is not just about persistence in life, okay? Uh, there's a book about that. It's a really good book called Grit, okay? <laughs> uh, but this sermon is not that. Under all of this persistence is a greater principle, and that is an exhortation, an invitation to pray and to persist in prayer. And Jesus gives us this amazing example today, this, this holy uh, and high and uh, exemplary demonstration of persisting, and that is persisting in prayer of this widow. Because you see, what he's saying is, when you pray, you're praying to the capital J judge, right? That's what we're doing. When we pray, we are not just praying to Jesus, our homeboy. We are praying to the capital J judge of the universe. The one who judges perfectly, justly, and forever. And the point is that if this widow would persist and in request to a corrupt judge and gets justice, how much more should we persist in the perfect judge and expect justice? Right? If the person in our passage is unjust and God is just, if he's unkind and our God is unkind, if he is uncaring and our God is caring, and she persists in making her request to this bad judge and he gives her justice, then how much more should we be motivated to continually bring our prayers to God, the good judge? How do we do that? And Jesus says, the only way you do that is by persisting in prayer. So let me unpack a little bit about prayer because I don't want to assume that we uh, are all experts in prayer. 
You know, first prayer is simply talking to God, right? God talks to us through the Bible. We talk back to him through prayer. That's how the relationship works. And Jesus says when you pray, you got to keep talking to God, right? Work it out. Keep working it out. Don't give up. But I want to share with you just a few things uh, what this doesn't mean. Uh, first, you don't have to pray eloquently, you know? Um, you can, but you don't have to. Because God is our Father. You know, so we're like His children. We're praying to Him. We're not trying to impress other people. We're just praying to our dad, right? When kids ask their parents for dinner, what do they say? Do they say, dearest, magnanimous mother and benevolent father? Right? We would like to applaud you for your amiable provision in our affirmation of days. Further, we cognize that you have the efficacy to relinquish requests. And we concede that apologetically and acquiescently. No, they don't, they don't dress it up, right? They, they don't say, you know, um, we, we want to we beseech you for dinner for we are malnourished and atrophied. No, they don't say stuff like that. They say, they say mom and dad, uh, can we eat? And what does mom and dad say? Yes. That's it. It's simple. So prayer doesn't need to be eloquent. It can be, but you don't need to dress it up because you're not trying to impress God. It's not a presentation. He just wants to know what the real issue is. He just wants you to get to the point. Second, our prayers don't need to be lengthy, right? Maybe you have, and maybe an aunt or uncle, whenever you have family gatherings, and whenever someone is, they're like, who can pray? And the aunt is like, I'll pray, or the uncle, I'll pray. You're like, oh my goodness, my food's gonna get cold. I should have gone to the bathroom before, right? This guy prays forever. So you don't have to pray long. You can, but you don't have to. Sometimes Jen will pray when we have people over for dinner, and sometimes I think it's long, and I'll, I'll kick her underneath the table. And she used to be like, oh, uh, in the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> but now, she, now she's like, she'll like stop the middle prayer. She'll be like, stop kicking me, Rich. <laughs> but I didn't kick you. What are you talking about? And then after, how are you going to rat me out? Snitches? Like, stitches get stitches. Um, but you know, when kids go to their dad and they say, Dad, we need a talk, right? Sometimes it's 30 seconds. Other times it's 30 minutes. Your heavenly dad loves you. He's there for you. You can pray long, you can pray short. Doesn't matter. I got a pastor buddy of mine and, you know, his favorite prayer, you know, he just asks like, like, hey, let's go around, let's get prayer. He says, yeah, I just need a lot of help. Every single time. Can you just pray that God would help me? It's a good prayer. It's a really good prayer. I mean, how many of you parents, if your kid just said, mom, dad, help, you're there, right? Talk to God for hours, for seconds. Now, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, you don't really persist in prayer, you know? Uh, Daryl Bach, he's a, he's a Christian author. He comments on this passage with several reasons. Like, he doesn't normally do this. He's like, Commentators are very scholarly, but he's just like, I don't know. If he feels had a bad week while he was writing his comments on this chapter, he says, here are reasons why we don't pray. Um, you know, he says, first, we're lazy. And he says, we're undisciplined. We'd rather watch TV, be on our phone, work. He says, sometimes we'd rather literally just do nothing. <laughs> like we're doing nothing. You know, we say we don't have time. It's funny. Bach, he's like, you know, he's got this PhD in Greek and New Testament, and he's, this is what he's saying. He says, you got 24 hours. <laughs> he says, we say, I, I'm not a morning person. He says, pray at night. 
We say, I get tired at night. He says, pray during the day. We say, I've got to work during the day. He quotes Proverbs 69, which says, how long will you lie there, O sluckard? Right? <laughs> you get the point, right? We're lazy. And it's like, we don't pray, so we don't even know how to pray. We don't, you know, we're so out of practice, um, out of spiritual shape. You know, when we're praying, maybe for someone, we're like, oh, dear Lord, help this guy whose name I forgot, even though we've been in community group for a year. Uh, help him with that thing that happened at the job he's at, right? Amen. <laughs> That's what it's like. And so, you know, what helps me, um, I keep a prayer journal. Very simple. Like, seriously, that thing keeps me persisting in prayer. Also because I have a terrible memory, you know? I was like, what do I need to pray about? What does that person ask for me for prayer? Um, it's all the things that I need, um, what God wants, what other people need. And I just want to read some of you uh, the prayer requests that I have from my list. This one, I just, I just, this one uh, starts back to 2018 and it really just starts with this church plant. When God was uh, calling, I thought, he, I thought he was calling me and Jen to plant a church, right? The first one in 2018. God, Jen needs a stable job so I can do this church planting thing that we think you're calling us to, right? Uh, Jen got a stable job, answered, praise God. Uh, another prayer request. God, I need a church planting pet partner. Um, I don't want to get shingles again. Please send a church planting partner. God sends Harry and Lauren. Answer. Hallelujah. Here's another one. God, uh, am I just crazy or do we need more people? Uh, please send some people who don't think we're crazy. 14 people committed to a court team. Praise God. God, uh, we want to be a hospitable church. We could do this if we had a place to do this. We also need a place to host a house church. Answered. Hallelujah. Um, God, thank you so much for answering all our requests. We're growing. We can't do house church anymore. We need an affordable and accommodating facility. Praise God. God, Harry and I can't do everything. We are very tired. We need to assign 10 ministry leaders that we can empower and oversee. Answered. Thank you, Jesus. Um, God, we need you to fill this room. Answered. Praise God. Um, I like to look over my list to remind myself to persist in prayer. You know, when I get discouraged, when my wife gets discouraged, when you get discouraged, I want us to look over that list and be like, look what God has done. Right, let's, let's, let's keep going to him. Keeps me focused. Man, it fills my heart with hope because that's what Jesus says in the beginning of this passage. He's like, I'm telling you this so that you can persist in prayer and never, never give up hope. Now, the second reason why we don't pray is because we're indifferent, right? Um, you know, another way of saying this is like, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit brings people into our minds, you know, throughout the week. Maybe we're driving and, you know, God, God brings people to our mind and we go, Man, I wonder how that person is doing with that, with that thing that, that she shared. Or maybe someone is brought to your mind because they've offended you. And rather than ruminating on it, ignoring it, gossiping about it, the Bible says to pray for them. Because the Holy Spirit's going to bring these people to your mind and the Holy Spirit says, don't quench the spirit. Don't resist me. So you're driving, you're working, you're thinking of somebody, somebody comes to mind. You can pray silently right then and there. 
right? Because God knows your thoughts. You can pray out loud if that helps. You can call them up. You can pray for them on the phone. Um, I send prayer texts. I send email texts. When someone emails me for a prayer request, I literally just write the prayer in the email, right? I don't like to say, I'll pray for you. I'm like, I'm just going to pray for you right then and there. You know, you can, you can at church, you know, you could say, hey, I want to pray for you after the service. And so, you know, a very simple question, just you can ask people, you know, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? You can ask me, I'll give you lots of things to pray for. And you know what I find? I find that most people, actually not most people, everyone I've ever asked will always say yes. You know, even people who don't believe in Jesus say yes. Um, I get this all the time. Whenever I'm in a public place, I'm working, I begin by praying and then someone notices, they come up to me and they go, hey, are you a priest? That's what they say. I go, no, I'm actually a pastor. Um, And then, you know, they go, wow, well, you know, I'm not really spiritual, but, you know, um, I'm actually an atheist and then they just kind of share their whole life. And at the end of it, I'll just ask, hey, man, can I I pray for you? And they're like, of course. Who's going to reject prayer? Nobody is going to reject prayer. No one's going to say, no, I got this. <laughs> I don't struggle with anxiety. I'm not stressed out. I got this. No one's going to say that. And, you know, like, I love it when this happens because, you know, this person just moved from atheism to agnosticism. It's a huge step and a simple move. Didn't take a lot. The third reason why we don't pray, sometimes we lack faith, right? Have you lost hope for people? Maybe even for yourself? Um, just ask my CG. I, I've been praying for the same thing for the past three years. I mean, what do you need to pray for? I need it. I'm impatient. <laughs> same thing. I think I have anger issues now, actually. <laughs> you know, same thing, right? Um, but yeah, most of the time we think nothing's going to change. I'm not going to change. They're not going to change. What's the point? So you get cynical, you get bitter, you just go through the motions. Then, you know, no one wants to do that. Who wants to wake up? early on a Sunday morning to go to church to just go through the motions. So you end up, things don't really actually get better. Actually, things start to get worse. You see? Now, if this is the case, first pray for your own heart, okay? Because prayer is not just to move the hand of God in your circumstances. It's also to mold our heart in addition to moving God's hand. And so maybe you need to first pray, God, change my heart. I don't even want to pray. Not for myself, not for them, not for anything. I feel dead. I feel calloused. I feel depressed. I feel angry. I feel resentful. I don't want them to even come up to me. I don't even want to reconcile with them. I'm done. So pray for your heart. Pray for their heart. Pray for God's hands in both of your lives. Um, lastly, some of us won't persist in prayer because we don't believe that prayer works, right? We just don't think it works. But prayer does work. God hears and answers all prayers. Sometimes he says yes, and we'll go over this real quickly. Sometimes it's a hard no, hard no. Sometimes he says not this, but something else. Sometimes he says later. And then lastly, sometimes he'll just say, hey, let's talk. Let's talk. So this brings us to the last point, God answers to our prayers. So the most obvious answer, God says yes, right? We ask God to provide, boom, he provides. We ask God to forgive us, boom, he forgives us. That's the Lord's prayer. Another part of the Lord's prayer is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So God always wants to answer yes to that, to his will. Let me explain. I believe the only reason why I'm a Christian is because my mom prayed for me, all right? Every day, I remember growing up, every morning, my mom, I see her Bible on the ground, and I remember it so vividly. It's in her bedroom um, next to the side sliding glass door, and that curtain is open. The sun is shining. Her Bible's on the ground, right? There's markings all over it. I see that every single day. Most of my friends growing up didn't go to church. My dad wasn't a Christian. My brother wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. We never went to church as a family. My mom would just go by herself every single Sunday. Probably pray for me and my dad and my brother every time because we didn't go to church, but now we do. All of us do. So if you're a Christian, if you're even here, maybe you're not a Christian, but you're here, I guarantee it's because someone has been praying for you. Someone has been praying for you. Thank them. Let me give you another example of how God answers yes to his will in the kingdom. Um, when I do something wrong, uh, like maybe, you know, when I make a mistake as a husband, not maybe, but when I do, I'll ask God to soften my heart. You know, I'm like, first I'm like angry. You know, I'm like, ah, get some jack in the box. <laughs> ah, I'm not eating those veggies tonight, right? Um, but, you know, calm down. I'm like, all right, I need to calm down. God, like, I'm like, all right. I need a, you need to soften my heart. This isn't working. I mean, more angry now. This is not good, right? Um, I'll ask God to soften Jen's heart because, you know, like, I'm not going to walk into that, you know? <laughs> um, as I get ready to apologize, I ask that God uh, will soften Jen's heart so that she'll be understanding, right, of my stresses during the week. Um, I'll ask for the right timing to approach, the right words, I'll ask for a, a, a good conversation that won't be um, just accusing each other, but one that, will, that where we both can own up and then forgive and that will be, will be a better uh, couple. And I cannot remember a single moment when God has not answered yes to that prayer. He always answers yes to that prayer. And every time I don't ask, it blows up in my face, right? You see, many times God is just waiting for you to ask and he's just waiting to say yes, we just don't persist enough. We're lazy, we're indifferent, we lack faith. We don't think he's gonna say yes. Second thing though, God does say no, right? How many of you are parents and you have kids and your kids come to you, dad, I want a bunch of bottle rockets. You're like, heck no, right? Dad, I want Mountain Dew and candy bars for dinner, right? That, that you would be a horrible parent if you said, yeah, sure, you can, let's, let's light these up in the house, right? Kids can demand something and you know, you know you're a parent when they do it in public and you say no and they're like, oh, there's an audience, right? This is a, basically a, a hostage negotiation situation going on, right? Um, I, Jen told me how she went to Target and this happened where the kid was crying and the dad's like, don't cry. <laughs> don't cry. <laughs> don't do it, right? But that's what kids do. Did you just say no to me, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a meltdown and I'm gonna make it look like you assaulted me. I'm going to make it look like you kidnapped me. Everyone's looking at you and they're like, what a, what a horrible parent. <laughs> Sometimes a good parent has to say no because God is like a parent. He says no to us too. You want that job? That's a, that's a no-go. You don't want to work there. Right? You want to date that person? You two aren't ready. And you're not even right for each other. This is all off. <laughs> but tied to no is not this, but something else. 
Because sometimes we're just praying for the wrong thing. So maybe you're praying, God, I want to get married. And God says, why don't you pray to find a church first? How about that? Right? Maybe you're praying, God, I want this job or I want this promotion. God says, you know what? Uh, I want you to pray for the broken relationships in your life. That's going to be much better for you. You say, God, I want to live like this. I envy that. And God says, that's going to hurt you. Pray for justice. Pray for spiritual life. Pray for spiritual fruit. And then sometimes a good parent has to say later. Um, When I was a civil engineering student, you know, I was 19, just in my second year, I was like, oh, I'm thinking about being a pastor, right? I prayed about it. I talked to a lot of people about it. I really wanted to do it. But there was a lot of sort of emotional and spiritual healing and relational healing that I needed to pursue. Um, So God wasn't saying no. He was just saying, hey, maybe not right now. Maybe not right now. I graduated and worked. It took a total of six years before God said yes, right? Sometimes it's, it's later. So the answer may be later, and um, you're not going to find out. It could be yes, no, something else later, but you're not going to find out unless you're persisting in prayer. If you're like, ah, I'm just going to do it, you know, then, then you know what's going to happen? You're going at it by yourself. God is here. You, you went at it by yourself. God is not in that. Last answer, let's talk, right? Prayer always has two purposes. Um, obviously, our primary pur- purpose is to move the hand of God. We're looking for some tangible kind of change and movement in our circumstances. But oftentimes, God's primary purpose in prayer is for us and our hearts to be molded and softened, uh, to become more like God. So maybe you're saying, prayer is not working. I've been praying. Nothing is changing. God isn't doing anything. Prayer is BS. He doesn't care. But no, it's not that he doesn't care. You're just misinformed. There's one thing God is always trying to do in prayer, and that is he is, he is not just trying to change your circumstances. He is trying to change you, trying to change your heart, right? In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, here's a proof text for this. Uh, God tells Israel, come now, let us reason together. Isn't that beautiful? God is a God of reason, logic, rationale, discussion. He's like, let's talk it out, man. So ultimately, as we pray, and and maybe we don't see things changing and people changing, but when we persist, we change. And and, and we're starting to hear God talking back to us. We're starting to change the way uh, we think about things. And then guess what? People are changing in our lives. And we're starting to desire different things. And we don't even want the thing that we thought we wanted. And so you start to experience patience and contentment in God rather than the things that you thought would give you that. So all of a sudden, you're becoming in character more like Jesus. That's a pretty cool thing. And so maybe you might say this prayer didn't work because things didn't change, but God is saying, no, I love you, and it did work because when you persisted in prayer, you changed. All right, let me, uh, let me just land this plane. Um, you know, throughout this sermon, I've sort of con- uh, covered um, persistence in prayer broadly, right? It was a very general uh, sort of sermon on being persistent in prayer broadly. But our passage is very specific in its application of persistence in prayer. What is that very specific application? We should be praying for justice. Justice in our communities, justice in our country, justice through us, 
justice in Ukraine and justice around the world in every place where there is injustice. Furthermore, the Bible says all the injustice in the world is due to the ultimate injustice of sin and the devil who uh, wields the power of sin. And on the one hand, all injustice will be answered by the judgment of God at the end of our lives. On the one hand. On the other hand, the prayer for justice is also answered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How so? Well, the love of God is so great. Some even say outrageous, irrational, and scandalous. That God says, I'm going to send my son to pay for all the injustice in the world. He's going to die for all the sins of the world. All the guilt of the world. All the wrongdoing of the world. All the injustice. My perfect and holy son who never deserves to die is going to pay the price. So in its most biblical fulfilling sense, Jesus fulfills justice by not just allowing and watching injustice to happen, but he does something about it. And his answer to justice is twofold. It's a yes and later. In other words, 2,000 years ago, Jesus answered all the cries of injustice. In his life, death, and resurrection, cosmic injustice has been answered right? Every single sinner, if they place their faith in Jesus, will be able to stand before God and say, you have to let me in. And he's going to say, why? And you're going to say, because Jesus paid the price. Imagine that. You have the authority and the power to, to face God, face to face, look him dead in the eye and say, I'm righteous because of Christ. <sighs> Sin has been defeated. The devil overthrown and death reversed. Yes. But right now we live in between the unfolding of this yes answer. And here's what I mean. As Jesus saves people and he's bringing people into the kingdom, Jesus is bringing spiritual justice to those oppressed by the spiritual power of sin and the devil. But one day Jesus will bring perfect justice, right? He will also bring physical justice. But until that day, what does Jesus say? Persistent prayer for both spiritual and physical justice. Act for both physical and spiritual justice. In other words, don't give up. Keep praying. Persist to persist to persist to persist. When you want to quit, pray. For all kinds of justice, for every single kind of justice. With that being said, friends, would you join me in a prayer for justice? perfect judge 
O just judge of the entire universe, who could possibly grieve and care more about all the injustice in the world other than you? And to see what you did, which one of us would send our family members, which one of us would send our only child cover the injustice of someone else's sin. (laughs) Only you. And that is why you are worthy of our worship. That is why you are worthy of our prayers. That is why you are worthy of our attention. That is why you are worthy of our hearts. That is why you are worthy of our time. That is why you are worthy of our lives. And I confess that I do not persist to pray for I am a broken sinner. I'm lazy. I'm indifferent. I lack faith. And sometimes I just don't believe that you're going to work. So Father, would you forgive me? Would you forgive all of us? And we know you do. In this very prayer, as we persist in prayer for forgiveness, you're like, yes. Thanks for praying that. Of course I forgive you. Father, we thank you for that spiritual justice. There is spiritual justice in that. Along those lines, we pray for physical justice. We pray for all those who are oppressed, the foreigners, the orphans, the widows, the disenfranchised and marginalized, those who suffer from tyrants and dictators, from war and violence and oppression. Father, we ask somehow, some way, you would provide some kind of relief through people, of course, even through us, whatever it is that we can do that is within our means and power to alleviate and provide a biblical kind of justice without just standing by. I think think that's the answer, actually. Sometimes it's not as mysterious, but it is us that you want to answer the cries of injustice to. So, Father, we, we are a young church small church but I pray that this would be a foundation for us that we would persist to persist to persist in prayer that we would not give up we would not give in we would not quit to seek all kinds of justice we pray this in the name of the one who is justice pray in the name of Jesus amen